Everybody relax. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Everybody Relax Podcast, facilitated by your boy, licensed clinical social worker and therapist, Trey. Hope that your week has been well. Um, if you're listening now, you've caught the first episode of um, me coming back, <laughs> essentially um, kind of recapping my first year in private practice, things I've learned and, you know, things that, you know, I've seen and worked through as well. Hopefully I helped you out and you kind of can see or help you get into your own private practice should you looking to do that. Failed to mention that I'm in a virtual private practice as well. So um, that's something that, you know, to take into consideration. Um, got some other opportunities that I will be, you know, hopefully speaking on at some point that also will lend way to the private practice. If you also want to learn more in depth as far as like some things that I've learned uh, while in my first year of private practice, check out the Patreon. Uh, come become a member of the Relax Crew when I can. I'm also over there discussing more in depth about that episode, things that I've learned, things that, you know, you might need to take away in order to be a successful clinician in this space. Um, but this is a uh, almost like a bonus episode for the week. Um, it's Juneteenth, and um, wanted to give the people something that's been on my mind for the past couple of months in my kind of sort of absence uh, from this podcasting, and maybe alluded to it a little bit uh, in the last one I did in May. Just to be free. Um, in America, it was it 5 a.m. or something like that in America? I was like, it was mad early in the morning. I had my son, I was sitting in here recording. So, <laughs> um, nonetheless, um, you know, of course, Juneteenth is coming up. Um, Juneteenth is symbolic, you know, because that was the opportunity where African American slaves in the South realized that they were free. Um, it had been quite some time before they understood that. Um, it was free in the North, but it wasn't free in the South. And, um, things you know that's what we celebrated for it's been garnering more attention um in the last couple of years um after pretty much the it picked up it seemed like after the george floyd situation dei came about and i feel like virginia governor northam had made juneteenth and now for a state holiday um i don't know if that's still enacted or not but i remember i think that we got it off or got extra leave for it when I was working at 9 to 5 in 2020, I believe. Um, but then in 2021, it was just kind of like another day. So I'm going to talk about some gripes that I've had and what I've been seeing, just watching and observing um, via social media, mental health, the world, um, any type of settings. Um, I did two speaking engagements um, as of late. And I like to bring up speaking. I'm not trying to brag about my speaking gauge. I like to bring up different themes and um, things that I've seen or witnessed while speaking or comments that have been made um, and kind of expand upon that here because this is my platform and I, I enjoy doing that. Um, two, two come to mind, right? Where, you know, shout out to my man, James Harris, man, the hill. He got me um, two of these calm speaking engagements in the last couple of weeks as well. Um, question was asked from the attendee that do I get tired because we we're speaking about black men's mental health? And um, she's like, do I do we get tired of continuing to speak on these topics where we might not have the turnout? Or it doesn't appear as um, 
everyone is listening or in attendance. So that was the first question, and to, to which I've answered to her that I've spoken to empty rooms um, before, and I'll continue to speak um, on these topics until somebody hears it, um, and I'll do it in this flat, this kind of you know platform, and I'll do it in um, another type of atmosphere as well, um, via books or guest or teaching or whatever. I'll figure out a way to do it, and um. You know, that was, you know, interesting. That, that, was, that was a good question. I like that question. Um, and it's a part of me. I didn't answer it fully. I feel like I do feel like sometimes I do get discouraged around that. But again, reinforcing the thought of, hey, I'm going to do all of this, you know, and I'm going to keep doing it until somebody's telling me I'm stop talking or shut up. You know what I'm saying? And I'm gonna, even then I'm going to still still be talking. Right. The second thing came up. Um, was an earlier speaking engagement that I did in my old, um, my, my past employer. And, um, you know, the thing I talked about is because it was a, mostly a substance use event, but mixed with mental health, and you can kind of speak on whatever you talked about. And so I kind of naturally talked about working with black men in treatment um, in mental health and then just figuring out, like, how do we establish trust, safety, and rapport? And the this is something that's been very um, pertinent to me in the last couple of years um, and has guided my process in working with black men in therapy, um, but also hoping and making sure that we have we've been represented um, in these spaces that certain spaces that we occupy. It's the reason why I did the Goodfellas Project, where I started there working with black men, trying to establish a safe space for us to uh, vent and heal. Um, that led to the private practice, working exclusively with black men, black women. I'm not just I'm not relegated to just black men and, and black women. I do see other races as well. Um, but, you know, the primary focus of the practice is black men. But um, and then when I think about think thought about this, this thought behind the work that I'm doing, me and my colleagues have been doing, speaking about um, doing, and I'm talking about working with clients. I reinforce it reinforces the other idea of how we establish and trust, safety and rapport in getting black clinicians in, or staying within the field. And if you follow me for a moment, um. One of the biggest things that I brought up in my other presentation um, that I recently did was um, to heal and be the healer, black man in America. But that can kind of really apply to any black professional. And I brought up the situation where a couple of different things were happening in my nine to five at that point in time, where the world was on fire, essentially. Social and racial justice was happening, police brutality, police killings, protesting, all these different things amongst every other social issue in a national pandemic. And then these things were brought up because, um, well, these things are brought up at work because they weren't being acknowledged. Yet we worked with and serve the population of which is an uproar on um, who are protesting, 
who are being killed in the street, who are being persecuted, and who are being, you know, victimized every single day of the week. And, <clears throat> excuse me, in me bringing that up along with other um, black women colleagues and people of color, right, they're also unearthed a situation of black professionals in the same space or arena not feeling comfortable speaking up um, for fear of retribution, fear of being fired, fear of um, losing their job, right? And then that added more fuel to the fire. So DEI efforts went out over the last couple of years, and I've been heavily critical about DEI efforts because I feel like, um, well, for one, they're kind of fading off now. Haven't heard too much about that. Um, Juneteenth is being commercialized, which we we knew that was going to come. And just kind of just losing their luster in a sense. And mainly because I feel like in in DEI work, in DEI work that, excuse me, that, you know, we couldn't just solely focus on black issues and in, in, in DEI and in, in these organizations. It, it wasn't a sole focus on black issues. It was um, inclusive to all minorities of people of color in that one DEI um, network. And um, going back to those those black professionals who felt like they didn't have a voice or couldn't speak out on the way I spoke out or where our little group that we had spoke out was um really really um heartbreaking because they have been professionals that have been in the company for 10 15 years and just really didn't feel safe enough uh to speak their piece and you know and then say we have the DEI work now when the DEI comes they were expected to kind of uh at least be the leaders or be the catalyst in, you know, doing that work, uh, which most of the times comes with, you know, no extra pay um, and extra hours that you had to add into, you know, your work schedule. And as I was looking at that, this is something I I, kind of explained in the presentation where I was kind of in a space where I already knew I was going to leave um, and I was going to full-time private practice. And, getting thrust forward with my other professionals and colleagues um, around the DEI work because we spoke out, um, it was that the same onus was put on us to also carry the torch for the DEI work. But it couldn't be super, it wouldn't, the DEI wasn't super specific to black only issues. And I, I I guess I was naive because I really thought that's what we were talking about DEI and all of this initiatives that came out of um, after George Floyd's killing and, and the protesting and this that and the third, but and and I even had a elected official a delegate tell me this that we couldn't just focus on black only issues because what about every other minority population. Or what about Asian communities? Or what about you know Hispanic communities, Latino communities? Like you know, and I and I was like, I get it, but we've done black specific, or we've done specific laws before. And then I heard somebody was like, okay, well that go against 
know, Congress or the Constitution, you know, some other things, right? And I was just like, what well, we've done black specific let me think we haven't done black specific legislation but it was influenced by black specific situations such as the civil rights movement and um this that and the third and so and then you know i think what they signed that law into like the anti-asian bill that came in the law as well um a couple years ago under biden's administration i'm like what thought we just said we couldn't do specific cultures like that so um Either way, like that was, I was, I really got frustrated with that delegate and hung up the phone and, and hung up that. And he's been in this seat for 20 plus years, which he probably needs to get out of that seat. But that's here, neither here or there. Um, but yeah, so that's what this made me my naivety. You know, I, I was naive to that fact, right? But then as I'm looking through that, seeing the celebration, seeing things kind of, the needle push forward and then fast forward to um mass shootings again black neighborhoods still some police killings happening um things are still popping up and the anti-lynching bill that's still somewhat stagnant uh in our federal government um and other black leg issues that need to be addressed um i feel like we just sweep all of this under the rug or we overgeneralize it because we don't want to do black specific um, level conversations. It's one of the reasons why I also, even though I talk about building trust, safety and rapport with the African-American community, especially black men in treatment, regardless if it's mental health or health care or wherever you are on the flip side, what are we doing to establish trust, safety and rapport with black professionals within their current, infrastructure or current spaces see that's the same thing that needs to still happen that is also a point of focus in reference to making sure that african americans feel safe in this country or feel safe in the career path that they have chosen um whether that's it whether that's social work mental health health care nursing being a doctor fireman um teaching these places that they don't feel we we, we don't feel um that we can express ourselves and so that shows up in the work you know if i'm going to a job that i don't feel like i can express myself i have to put on this face i have to put on this mirror um in order to get through the work day dealing with microaggressions that that are rooted in racism dealing with implicit bias that are rooted in racism dealing with um not you know, having a different income wage than somebody else rooted in racism, dealing with lack of promotions rooted in racism, dealing with not seeing leadership that looks like me is rooted in racism. Like all of these different things impact the environment that I go to, but also impact the care that I put out. See, I can I can give out better care or even um, I can still give out substantial care when I'm in an environment that's conducive and safe for me right um will i what how how much better can i be um oh not how much better but how much limit how limited am i when i have to come into a space that's not conducive for me that's not safe that doesn't feel like it's um 
trusting and I have no rapport with any of my colleagues because they don't see me for who I am as a person. They don't see the full scope of the issues that I'm dealing with. Um, and they also see it as a parody in a, some sense where it's just like, Oh, well, ain't that big of a deal. Or, don't all y'all do that. Or ain't that just something that was a myth for ain't that ain't y'all was just, you know, joking about that. Or don't y'all eat all this or don't y'all deal with it this way. And it's like, I feel like there's been made a mockery um, of our experience um, and it's seen as a parody versus a reality at times. It's across the board. Um, you know, one conversation that I've always had and I've said it on my, my podcast before is, is talking about doing some of that community work around social justice and racial justice with um the white community and other communities as well, but expressing how I really feel and then still feeling like if I go home, I still got to make it home at night, even though I might, you know, I, I know the, the law enforcement, um, I still fear not making home at night. You feel what I'm saying? Um, to entrench myself in the community, build those connections, but still not feel safe is a problem to me. So when our pain and struggling or our pain and suffering is only viewed as a parody um, and not taken seriously, then how can we adequately adequately do our job um, at the highest level? And, you know, that's across the board. And I think when we start, it, it doesn't start until we start specifically working with these black issues that are, are there, if that is even possible. Because at this point, I'm starting to get pessimistic and think that it's not possible. And I'm starting to go, on go into self-preservation mode and just preserve myself in order to be available for me and my family and the, those I love. And, 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 and just build, a, build something that is strictly inclusive for only black people. And it's self-preservation, just not just me and my family, but self-preservation for me and my community at this point. Because I feel like there's a parody of um of black people's pain and suffering it's 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 it's, it's a parody of that um and i i don't see the respect i feel like there's a lack of respect of our pain and struggle because we're not in chains and we're not being whipped i feel like there's a not a lack of respect of our daily situations and daily things that we go through where we sit here we go to work for these systems that also do harm to us and then also have to watch on the TV or watch on social media the demeaning, the deaths, the traumas of people who look just like us or could very well be our cousins or our family members. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, still come to work and do you, do what you need to do or still show up in your great professional and do what you need to do. Oh, we still got to do this and this and that and third. And it's like, but nobody else has to deal with that because either they're not privy to that because they might be a majority or they're respected and they get what if something does happen next thing you know they get bills done for them um this is where i feel like there's the disconnect because we won't take the step forward and put draw a line in the sand and say america has done the black people in this world wrong um, but we keep putting band-aids over it. We keep, you know, dismissing how re real 
these things are in our community or we say it's black on black crime or we'll look at what black people are doing to their own people not really conceptualizing or really grasping the full thought of who put that in place for black people to behave that way it's not it was not us it was white it was white folks and those ancestors before us those white ancestors that were racist and put these systems in place to block us from getting or being you know what i'm saying uh conducive and, pro and productive in these spaces and that's not to say we haven't been productive and thriving and being resilient but we shouldn't have to continue to be resilient that shouldn't be a badge of honor it should be okay for me to be black outside or going into any of my professions or my career paths or just being existing it should be okay for me to exist but obviously this thing has been so ingrained in not just the people but also systems um that we operate in that we are not <laughs> we we are a threat even when we're just trying to exist and make ends meet i take problem i take issue with that i take issue with that especially in the field of mental health in the field of social work those white counterparts or those white colleagues um trying to be racially justice or socially justice allied but dismissive of their colleagues feelings um dismissive of their actual um their thoughts around the field that they operate in and the world that they live in and then also taking the time to position themselves um to help do the work but then try to take on the victimization of what their black counterparts are um, feeling and dealing with, um, taking that on and becoming a victim and now trying to align their victimization with the proximity that they have with their black colleagues. That's not fair. That's not fair. You feel what I'm saying? Your experience, you working in this the system to dismantle the systems or you working trying to be an ally and then when you feel some persecution, you take the time to um, well, you feel some persecution as a result of doing that. You want to say how aligned you are with black people suffering. At the end of the day, black people still got to wake up being black every single day, regardless of whatever things we choose to, to, to engage in. If that is community organizing, protesting, social justice, doing therapy, um, doing IT work, uh, being a police officer being a judge, being a teacher, um, being a CEO, being a rapper, being an athlete, we have we can't take our black skin off. We can't take our black skin off. We have privileges in the community. Of course, I have my own black male privilege as a black man and as a light-skinned man. Of course, absolutely. But it doesn't still take away, take away from the fact that I am still a black man with a black family and do very black things. That aids and gives into um different things that may pop up and so it, it the social work this is why I'm, I'm doing stuff in the social work field also um along with the mental health field to address how are we recruiting and how are we retaining black professionals in this space black you're not going to get more black professionals in this space if you're not providing a space conducive for them to be um to to work and, and be their authentic selves, but also you're not going to recruit and, and retain black professionals in this space if their blackness is going to be dismissed and also going to be used as a parody, or you're going to try to position yourself 
with your own struggling to them. Man, I had a conversation, right? Um, because because black people are not going to be um, black people are, are not going to be insulted, and insulted goes beyond beyond just intelligence. It, it, we're talking about you're not going to insult my experience by way of saying you had an experience, and now we 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 align because we both have these different experiences. No, if if you're white, you understand that your experience is different in this space. We could have a situation where we both grow up, come from the same same roots but um same same county or same area and and grew up poor but your poor is going to look different than black poor black poverty versus white poverty it's going to look totally different and you know i had a conversation right (laughs) and this is kind of where some of that that thinking also has been you know um influenced in my community dialogues around social justice and racial justice um we had a conversation and I'm, I'm, I'm in there with, you know, pastors and evangelicals and school board members, board of county supervisors, people who make the laws and policies, make this county shake. Um, I was in there, in there going off and, and doing my thing, but also educating and providing awareness because there was a lack of it and there was a dismissing and it was experience was made of a parody. And what I did, one of the, one of the pastors, right. One of those was a white pastor and we had a conversation and, when we were talking about talk about my experience, first gen college student had to take out student loan debt, get to where I'm at to in my place as a licensed clinical social worker, working up to this. My mom, I didn't come from a wealthy family, came from middle class family. His argument is his proximity to the black experience or the black struggle. Hey, I had to come up the same way. I didn't have a silver spoon and my daughter had to do the same thing. She had to take out student loans. Um, and get to this point as well. We're all in the same experience. Um, that that I don't understand how that's a difference. And my thing about it was, but I don't understand how you as a white man can feel like your experience is the same as a black man's experience coming up and going to get a college education because the world is built for you. And it's already positioned for you to succeed. That's not the same for me. And that's not my experience. Yes, you had to come up and do your own thing, but you still had your whiteness. I still was black. There was other barriers that I had to incur that you did not have to incur. And for some reason, he could not conceptualize this. And that is my issue with the conversations around this type of stuff is that why do we have to be the ones to think beyond and can see the, the end from the end from the beginning and in the middle? Whereas, you know, sometimes our white counterparts, not all the time, but sometimes they can only see a small vacuum and maybe only a few feet in front of them and can only speak to what they had to deal. If they can't conceptualize or empathize with other races or ethnicities and their struggles and their current struggles of how they dealt with that in, you know, currently in the present, but also in the past. And, and, and the only thing they can really conceptualize and go back to is slavery. And slavery is bad and racism is bad. But even in that thought pattern that, that racism is bad and I'm not a racist, there is still um, what I like to call like the anti-blackness in that piece. Um, and they don't recognize that. And it was, Somebody else had to explain it to him because obviously it was he wasn't hearing it from me, and maybe I was too boisterous or too uh, 
to elevate it for him to to gather the insight needed to understand my experience but that wasn't the same conversation when i spoke to um a law enforcement officer about my experience and what that looks like he was able to grasp that and and, and conceptualize it, and understand that that was not his experience not his daughter's experience but he couldn't even imagine and put that to 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 in, into words or to even yet to understand that because he didn't have to go through that. And so I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's two people in the room. Y'all both white men. Y'all both benefit from the system. But at the same time, one of y'all can get it and one of, and the other one can't get it. That's a one to two ratio. So one to two ratio, one out of two white men can understand the black experience. But who's the actual majority here in America? And, you know, that right there is the frustrating part. I have to argue with you about validity of my experience because you feel like it wasn't that bad and you shared the same experience, but you didn't. You feel what I'm saying? And so when we start talking about Juneteenth, the holidays, and then the commercialization of it and the DEI efforts where it's just overgeneralized, but it's never specific. There are specific things that the black community has asked for and want to want to happen, but that gets avoided. But if we overgeneralize it, it's a lot more palatable and accepting. Could it be that uh, accountability um, of this all, accountability of your, um, how would you say, um, not subconscious, no, accountability of your position to the things that this country has done scares you. You feel what I'm saying? Um, it, it, it makes you feel um, like a bad person or it makes you feel inadequate that even though you may have not been a direct issue, you may have been descendants of the direct issues as far as what the, the black issues that uh, black people face in this country. Could it be that your um, uh, lack of accountability for the um, the treatment of those black professionals, your black colleagues, is the reason why they're leaving the field or won't dare come step foot in the field. And this is one of the things that I've talked about um, when I talk about recruitment and retention, especially in the social work field. Social work has to be take accountability for their actions in reference to the black experience they have to be because you know if you ask a black person generally what a social worker does they think about taking the kids that's that's what they think about or their first interaction with a social worker is cps or po which is putting them in jail or not putting them in jail you feel what i'm saying these are the first interactions with the black community um in reference to social work that's not the same for the white community or anybody else you feel what I'm saying? Like, and, and maybe people of color, uh, Latino, you know, Spanish community. Um, but I can't speak for that. I'm just saying for us, that's our first interaction with social work. Social, And you you saw APA, you know, and a couple months ago, they came out with their apology for their role in the discrimination and, and uh, you know, racism that they've attributed to the black community from a psychological perspective. So if, that is the case that we know in a, in a, not NSW, but yeah, NSW at some point has contributed to the actual discrimination, racism, 
um, in uh, inequities we see in the black community, definitely due to the, the results of like poverty um, and then, you know, violence and trauma and, and, and jail systems, incarceration, um, you know, all these different themes and social issues that, you know, um, we as a black community face. Social workers have been involved now and have been, you know, pretty much one on the one on ones of responsible for some of the destructions or the separation of black families, albeit via taking children away or um, incarceration, things like that, but not really, you know, we're so quick to 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 victimize or, or not victimize, but demonize the the people, the black people that we serve. But never do we, um, rarely have we ever t uh, addressed or looked at the system and how it operates and worked to dismantle that. That is now only happening today in the, maybe the last two years where the social works social workers now currently are looking to um, uproot and redo the system of social work, but that takes a lot of manpower and willpower to do so, but it also takes some accountability for your actions in the field of social work. And so, you know, on this Juneteenth holiday where we're coming to celebrate the independence of those, those black folks um, in the South that didn't know they was, you know, free, um and we've we've become you know generations and centuries you know down to this this time where we are still dealing with a lot of racial inequities racism discrimination prejudice um um underlying in different systems that we operate in um i want us to really take a good look um mainly not black black professionals but our white professionals, our white colleagues. I want y'all to take a good look at yourselves and ask yourselves, are y'all adequately or y'all really, really looking to dismantle or address the inequities that black people face within the system that you operate in? Whether that be your colleagues, your cohort, or the clients you serve. What are you doing in your respective career space or field to address those biases that you may have or your 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 system may have your leadership may have um and what are you doing to address that how are you working to grow and be better how are you working to create a more equitable um path for your black your black counterparts and if not then why especially if you're a social worker why why not that's your that's your that's the code of ethics one on one. That's your duty. Why are you not taking a more active role in in addressing and, and trying to dismantle and address those inequities for your black counterparts? What are you doing? And why are you in this field for? And and I think there's no better time to to do that. Yeah, it's Juneteenth is a holiday, but it should be done every single day, three sixty five. And are you really getting out of the way or are you in the way of the progress? being made to address those inequities that your black counterparts, your black colleagues, your black, you know, cohorts or your clients that you're serving, are you um, in the way of progress, the progression of that? Because if you're still trying to withhold a system that has not been kind or does harm to the people you serve or the people that you kick it with every day or the people that you graduate with every day, if you're not trying to um, address that, especially as a social worker, as a mental health professional, 
then I don't I don't think you you you're fit to wear those credentials. Me personally, you know. So, um, I just want to drop that this little episode today to kind of get some thoughts and feelings out. <laughs> um, make sure y'all like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure y'all um, check it out, share, and let me know what you think about the episode. This is a major thing. It's deeper than June, Juneteenth and DEI, man. This is about reframing how black Americans um, are viewed in this world. We are not a parody. Um, we are not, we are not, our experience is not to be dismissed and our experience is not to be um, in proximity with just because you uh, go through some type of uh, rift in your life. You can't, you don't have black skin. You can't, we can't take our black skin off. So don't try to position yourself or, um, you know, put yourself in our shoes. That's not, that's not fair to us. Um, but what you can do is actively work the, to, to address those inequities, address your own biases and actively work to um, address those systems that have done harm to us. So we can have a safe, equitable space for us to thrive in when a career path wise or for our clients as well. The clients you serve to be safe and, and, and get the treatment or the help that they need, regardless of what it may be. All right. Um, that's it for now. Y'all make sure y'all check out the um, other episode of my one year in full-time private practice. Y'all take care. I'll see y'all later. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there and happy Pride Month.